previous one, but it but it fits into that because the uh, uh, subjects overlap. So I'm going to uh, do this as part of that series, but it's a little bit more connected to this service. This service that we're having today is one of our own making, and it's a themed service. It merges two services that we have done in the past, what we call the new creation service and the creation service. Um, we usually put those where we finish with the new creation service and then began again with the creation service. We added it to the fall holy days of Yom Torah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, the eighth day, and Simchat Torah, because they all, in some sense, in the large sense, uh, address the return of the Lord, the resurrection of the dead, the kingdom to come, the judgment, and the presence of God with his people, fulfilling that purpose of God. And then for Judaism, the rewinding of the Torah scroll begins the new lectionary year, which the first readings were yesterday during the Shabbat, and so this is the second week in that context. But there's no connection in all of those directly in the liturgies uh, for the anticipation of the new creation. So we added the new creation service and then followed it up with our litany of the creation service as we moved into the beginning of the lectionary period. Well, it dawned on me, as I was looking at all this, that all of the holy days look back and then they look forward. So I decided to combine these. The next year I'll have the litany and the liturgy working better. Um, I think it's appropriate because all of the major holy days of Judaism and Christianity look back and then they look forward. Back to an event that God did and then forward to a promise that he will fulfill. So, for example, Shabbat looks back to the creation in the beginning and looks forward to the Messianic kingdom and to some extent to the new creation as well. Passover, Pesach, looks back at the Exodus and forward to the kingdom to come. Hence the shout next year in Jerusalem, that idea of the regathering. The Lord's Day, developed in Christianity, looks back at the resurrection of Jesus on the first day of the week, but is also the eighth day in that sense that it looks forward to the day of the Lord and his appearing. And clearly we've seen in the last few years that Advent looks back to the incarnation of our Lord and his first appearing and then looks forward to his return as King of Kings. Now I could go on with the other ones, but I think you get the point. So today we're looking back at the creation that was in the beginning and the new creation that the scripture talks about. Our text is from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 13. And you, you're familiar with this. We've used it many times. I'm just going to read a few verses within that context because I want to get through uh, a lot of material in this. He's, uh, Peter says, Know this first, that in the last days, mockers will come in their mocking, following their own lusts, and say, Where is the promise of his coming? Because since the fathers fell asleep, everything continues as it did from the beginning of creation. When they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. So Peter says there was a creation up until the time of the flood. 
That original creation was destroyed by water, and now there is a present creation. He says that this one ultimately will be destroyed by fire, but, but one day is as a thousand days, so the timing's not clear. And then he says, we are looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God when this creation will melt, and then there will be a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So Peter's telling us all about the creation that was before the flood, this current world that you and I live in that will ultimately be destroyed, and then the new heaven and the new earth. So we're going to look back. We're going to look back first at the first creation. Then we're going to look forward to the new creation. We're not going to spend a lot of time in the present, but I have to address a little bit. So, I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 1. Now, if we were going to read this whole thing with the litany that we normally do, we would read Genesis 1-1 to Genesis 2-3, which is really where chapter 1 of Genesis should stop. But uh, the chapter guys were not uh, paying attention uh, quite the same way as um, we might now. So I'm only going to read the first five verses of chapter 1 and the first three verses of chapter 2 so that we can talk about it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was moving, brooding over the, the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and he said, separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning one day. Now at the end of this section, we get these words. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed with all of their hosts. And by the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all the work which God had created and made. So I want you to listen to this as I've read the first day and the last days. In day one, God creates light and separates light from darkness and creates day and night. The second day, he separates the waters above the atmosphere and the waters below into what is called the heaven, the waters above and the waters below. In the third day, he gathers the waters under the heavens and separates the land from those waters so that we have the seas and we have the land with vegetation that he calls forth. In day four, we have the establishment of the sun and the moon and the stars, and God says they are for signs and for seasons and for days and years. In day five, God creates the living creatures in the waters and in the sky, the birds of the sky. And then in day six, the creation of the land animals, and then specifically, not speaking them into existence, but actually forming man and from man forming woman in God's image to care for the others. And God says this was very good. And then in the day seven, we have the establishment of the Shabbat as the memorial to God. Very important to understand that with no idol that Jews can worship, they have no image of God. The, the Imago Dei, which we are, the real image and sign of God is in that Shabbat. That is who the God of the Sabbath is the God of Israel. And that is 
He is different than all other gods. Now, we live in a world after the flood and after Babel. And this world is filled with violence and blasphemy. It is cursed because of sin. And we who were created in the image of God and who were to care for this earth and its creatures, we're also marred by sin and strife. Mankind walks in his own light, and that light is darkness. And in this darkened world, God gave a light. God created a people to be a light to the nations that were scattered at Babel. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the foundation of that people called Israel. And they are the only people and the only culture directly established and, and created by God through covenant uh, at Sinai with, with Israel. Really important that they are part of special revelation in being a light to our, us as the nations. Now, through Israel and by means of their prophets, God revealed himself in his salvation to address the sin and darkness of this present age. And he gave the scriptures that are able to make one wise, leading to salvation through faith in the Messiah, Jesus. This Jesus God has made both Lord and Messiah by resurrection. And through him, salvation has come to the Jews first and also to the nations. Now God is presently working through Israel and through the gospel to prepare a people, which we call the church, made up of Jews and people from all the nations, preparing them for resurrection and the kingdom to come. And we, as part of that people, are working out our salvation with fear and trembling in our households, in our Havarot, and in this congregation, transforming this from generation to generation. And in addition, we watch for and take advantage of opportunities to share this faith with others who live in the bondage of darkness and in the fear of the present age. But there is more than just that story and that message. And that story has an uh, additional promise that is given in Isaiah chapter 65, verses 17 to 25. Now I read that earlier as we were going through the, uh, the service, but I want to read it again to remind you of what exactly God God is promising here. In Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, God says, Behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. And be glad and rejoice forever in what I create, for behold, I create Jerusalem, also a new Jerusalem, for rejoicing and for her people, for gladness. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping or the sound of crying. No longer will be there be an infant who, who lives but a few days, uh, or an old man who does not live out his days. 
For the youth will die at a hundred years, and the one who does not reach the age of a hundred will be thought a curse. They will plant houses and inhabit them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and another inhabit. They will not plant and another eat. For as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people. And my chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands, but they will not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they are the offspring of those blessed of the Lord. He says, It will come to pass when they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. And the wolf and the lamb will graze together. As I often say, the wolf, the lamb will not be inside the wolf. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. They're all of them vegetarian. The dust will be the serpent's food. And they will do no evil or harm in my holy mountain, says the Lord. Now this passage is not about the new heaven and the new earth. It's talking about Jerusalem being restored. There will be a new Jerusalem, but he's talking about something. What we have here is different than the reading in Revelation. Revelation says there will be no death. But Isaiah here says there will be a long life, and there, but there will be childbirth and there will be death in this kingdom to come. Now then, how are we to understand these two seemingly controversial statements, Isaiah saying that there will be birth and death and and Revelation saying there's no death and there's no marriage in the resurrection. What's going on? Well, the church fathers struggled with this and by using replacement thinking, they removed Israel from the present earth and the promise and focused only on the new creation. And that is because the kingdom and the new creation are related but they're not the same. And the confusion is they overlap. The new creation has already begun, but the full restoration of this one has not been completed. When the kingdom of God encompasses the earth and Jesus reigns over the nations, there will be a temple in Jerusalem and the earth will be like the Garden of Eden. And the earth will be as God intended it when he created it initially. And the temple and the worship there will reflect the true temple and worship that is in heaven and the glory of the Lord will be found in all his creation. This is restoration. But that's not all. So now we have to look at that Revelation passage. Revelation chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, you can take a look at that. Revelation 21. John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. There will be seas dividing up the land there. Um, he says, uh, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be among them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain. Those first things, part of this first creation, will pass away. And he who sits on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Now when we get down to verse 9, we get some interesting uh, uh, 
text. Uh, verse 9 says, And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls from the last plagues, you recall that from an earlier sermon, spoke to me saying, Come here and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her brilliance was like the very costly stone as the stone of a crystal clear jasper. It had great and high gates with 12 gates, a high wall with 12 gates, and the gates 12 angels and the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There's no replacement of Israel. Israel's central to all of this. Now, he goes on through that context as he describes those gates. And then we get to chapter 21. Uh, uh, verse uh, 22. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need for the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and the lamp, the lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, so the nations are there too. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Nothing unclean, and no one who practices abominations and lying shall ever come into it. Only those whose names are written in the book of life. Now, he continues in chapter 22 in the first five verses, and basically he says that what's going to be in the city there is a place with no darkness, and there will be the water of life that uh, is, we look back to the rock with the living water, and then Jesus talking about, I will give living water and they'll never thirst, and the tree of life is there for the healing of the nations. The nations will not have to be controlled by a rod of iron. They will be healed and really be fully in peace. All of that is in this new creation. Now, Isaiah talks about this, and I want to give you another text um, because this is important, and I'll tell you why it matters. In Isaiah chapter 66, so if you can go back to Isaiah chapter 66. Verse 22 says this. For just as I make the new heavens and the new earth, which I make will endure before me, declares the Lord. In other words, this will be eternal. So your offspring, he's talking to Israel, your offspring and your name will endure. Israel will endure. On its high, right? And it will be from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. Now, in the city, we will come and the redeemed of the nations and Israel in its redemption will all come from new moon to new moon. Those will be part of the new creation. And from Sabbath to Sabbath, no getting rid of Sabbath. It's going to continue for all eternity. And then he says this. This is really important. He says, they will go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worms shall not die and their fire will not be 
quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to mankind. Revelation says that. It says that no unclean thing will come in there outside of the city, outside in the new creation, will be that lake of fire that burns forever, and nothing unclean will be able to escape that and come into the new creation. Now, why does this matter? Okay, Why are you even bringing this up? Right? Well, when I was a child, and most of you will not know what I'm talking about, but I know Dr. Uh, Dowerman will, uh, Sears and Roebuck had a catalog that you could look for anything you wanted. And I spent a lot of time wishing and dreaming in that catalog and imagining what having some of those things would be like. And one of the things that Sears and Roebuck did is they had three of each item. Each of them had a different price, and each of them were a different level of quality. And they were listed by their level of quality. And they would say good and tell you the item, and then it would say better and show you the item, and then it would say best. The good was the basic item. It worked well, and it looked good, but often they didn't last because they were temporal. They were cheaper, too. The better one was listed as costing more, but it was better, and it looked better, and it promised better options and performance. And the third one was best. This was the ultimate one. It was also the most costly and most expensive. It had features the other two did not have. And it was the one that had it all and was guaranteed to last. Now, in the same way, God created this creation in the beginning, and it was good. But it was temporal. And it didn't last because of sin, and it had to be destroyed. So God is now promising to take this present world and make it better. It will ultimately be in the kingdom. Everything that it could have been, it will be as good as it can be in a temporal context. But then... John sees, and the scripture says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. All of that is going to be part of the new creation, which will be best, and it will be eternal. So, it's important for us to keep that in mind, because the best is yet to come. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks about this, quoting from uh, the, the uh, Older Testament. And he says this. He talks about the wisdom that they are addressing. And he will quote from... Uh, let me find it here. He will quote from Isaiah 64, right? So he says this. Just as it is written, things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, which has not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. In all things, God is working good for those who love him. Now, this is really important, and you need to catch this. If we were looking at God's catalog, and this is God's catalog, we can see the first one, and it's good. And we can see the second one because we can, he can describe it in ways that we can understand it. But the new creation is not something we can grasp. Eye is not seen, 
ear has not heard, it hasn't entered into the imagination of man the things that God is preparing for us. That is incredible stuff. There will be a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, a new humanity. We call it one new man, but it really should be translated humanity. Of Israel and the nations, fully at peace, all because of the new covenant in his blood, a new covenant that he made with Israel, established with the blood of the Messiah. And that is part of what we have been looking at through many of the holy days that we've gone through. So I want to give you one more text to look at, and that's Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 to 24. Hebrews 12. We are in Christ. We are a new creation. We're already part of that new creation. We're going to be part of the kingdom, but we're going to go past that. Okay? Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, 22. You have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the myriad of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Oh. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood of Jesus, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Actually, it speaks best. So this text is really important. Now, I want you to understand, the church got a lot of this wrong. And it's understandable that many of them would put their focus on the new creation and the idea of all millennialism, ignoring the kingdom. And it's also possible that there are some who have focused more on the kingdom to come and ignore the new creation. But we're seeking the whole counsel of God. We have tasted of the good. And we are waiting to taste the better in the kingdom. And then we anticipate that which we can't even imagine, which will be the best. And that will be the fullness of the new creation. The new creation has already begun. began with the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. It is part of us as we are born again our spirit is part of that new creation but our mind has to be transformed by the word of God and our body needs to go through that change or the resurrection that will bring mortality to immortality and then even then when we're in the kingdom we'll be part of the anticipation of what's going to come and all of that is found in the promises of God and therefore he begs us Peter begs us in that text to live in with that in mind. Keep our focus on all that is to come. We look back to get our bearings and to see God's faithfulness. We look forward to the promises and the knowledge that he who began a good work in it in us will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. So let's pray and then I will take some questions. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the promises. We know, Lord, that we see through a glass darkly and that even when we think we've got a handle on all this, 